I'm so pleased to be able to preach the word again. <clears throat> I think it's 14 months I've been silent, hardly able to take part in worship. But the Lord has taught me a great deal in that time. Perhaps I've had to learn to be what I've talked about to so many other people. And uh, I want to say I'm so thankful to the Lord for the measure of restoration he's given me after a very difficult time about 12 months ago and thank him for the therapy that has been so beneficial and so instructive particularly the radiotherapy to be taken day by day for something like three weeks by various brethren and sisters and my wife and to lie on a slab and to lie underneath the uh, um, x-ray machine huge machine but between that machine and me a laser beam in the shape of a cross and to be moved about so that the center point of that cross was exactly in line where the cancer was and to lie there day after day in perfect peace and resignation and let the radiotherapy do its work it was a delightful experience and it made me realize that the power of the spirit whether to destroy what is evil or to heal what is good has to come to us through the cross and that was very much in line with my own message over the years that we cannot sever the Holy Spirit from the cross and to lie beneath the cross and to walk beneath the cross as it were all that Jesus has done is and to have that focused onto our own flesh our own nature is the wonderful wonderful thing so praise the Lord this morning <coughs> now I don't feel I need to preach really can you hear me alright at the back I don't feel I need to preach because the message has all been in the hymns and the worship this morning did you notice how many times the word compassion came in the worship in the singing well that's the theme for this morning the compassion of God the Russian writer Dostoevsky in one of his works said the following strange thing that the the law the chief law of human existence was compassion what he quite meant by that I don't know but there are two recent things that have moved me to preach this message one has been referred to already it's the recent events of the death of two people one in India and one in France whose lives were marked by extraordinary compassion for people the second thing is that the church is embarked on a series of studies at the moment on the subject of caring and I, I don't want to duplicate what's been said but rather to underscore it now compassion 
belongs to a cluster of words in the Old Testament that hang together words like mercy and tenderness and pity and care but especially pity but there's a little difference between pity and compassion pity can be rather distant and detached to say well I'm sorry for that chap he's in a pitiful state I do pity her and you can pass on like the priest and the Levite did in the story of the Good Samaritan they no doubt pitied the man but they didn't do anything about it and pity can be rather academic and mental but compassion goes further than that compassion is deep compassion is tender compassion is marked by phrases like tender feeling and there are inner parts like the liver and the intestines and the heart which are summed up in the old authorized version in the word bowels the bowels of compassion and when you hurt in those parts you really feel it and compassion is deep feeling that comes from within it's a little different from pity because pity can stand apart and you can look at the person but compassion comes alongside it's a feeling it means suffering with a person and I look back on my ministry and I wish I'd known more of that I'm sure we all need it because there's not a lot of it really in the world perhaps there is more now and there will be now if we look a little more closely into this we see this that God himself is a God of compassion God is the very essence of compassion so there are so many attributes of God there's holiness and there's justice and there's even anger and wrath and judgment so we must hold those in balance but when Moses longed to know God and in the book of Exodus he said Lord show me your way be with us and then he went further and he pleaded with God in Exodus chapter 33 and he said Lord show me your glory show me what you're really like and God gave a, a marvelous revelation of himself it says he, st he stood and he declared in a loud voice Jehovah Jehovah compassionate and merciful and forgiving and so on a whole list of things but beginning with this word compassionate it seems as though that governed all the rest now this revelation meant everything to the people of Israel it was his attitude all along and uh, it's described in an extraordinary passage 
in the 16th chapter of Ezekiel. I'd just like to look at that. It's God putting in a picture form how he found the people of Israel when they were slaves in Egypt ill-treated without any hope and God said I have seen the affliction of my people and, the, and, and what the Egyptians have done to them and I have come down to deliver them and so he describes this in uh, chapter 16 and he says um, that he was like a great king wealthy, powerful riding along in his chariot perhaps along a road with his entourage and he suddenly hears the sound of a baby crying and he stops the chariot and gets down and goes to look and see what it is kind of thing perhaps no normal king would do but he said this um, <clears throat> for on the day you were born your cord, your umbilical cord was not cut nor were you washed with water to make you clean nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in cloths no one looked on you with compassion pity or had compassion of, enough to do any of these things for you rather you were thrown out in the open field for on the day you were born you were despised that was what Israel was like in Egypt like a little baby thrown out in the day it was born not wanted, not cared for to die then I passed by and I saw you kicking about in your blood and as you lay there in your blood I said to you live he went on to describe how he came a second time and found that the baby had grown up and washed it again and clothed it with beautiful garments and raised it to the status of a princess and entered into a covenant with her and made her a beautiful, beautiful being, a woman now that was compassion that was what God was like and compassion in God is always related to need and suffering and so it was that all through the history of Israel even when God had to judge them punish them and hand them over even to captivity whenever they cried to him in repentance he was always moved with compassion to them because he made a covenant with Abraham his friend whom he loved and who loved him but compassion was something that moved him to action always on behalf of a wretched people all through the Old Testament this thought of truth of compassion ricochets from one point to another it rings like a bell here through the prophets right way back Exodus revelation of God to Moses in chapter 34 and again and again that truth is, is quoted by prophets by Isaiah, by Jeremiah 
It's in Kings and Chronicles and Nehemiah. It's in Micah. Even Jonah, who didn't like God sparing Nineveh. He wanted Nineveh to be destroyed. And when it wasn't, he said, Oh, I knew you'd be like this. I knew you were a compassionate God. Compassionate even to, to Nineveh. Heathen people, when they repented. And so it's no wonder that in Psalm 86.5, God is described as a God who abounds in mercy, abounds in compassion. And Psalm 103, one more scripture to look at in the Old Testament. You must look at that, Psalm 103. And one of the Psalms in which this truth of compassion comes. See, he made known his ways to Moses, verse 7. He made known that. And what did he make known, verse 8? That the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Verse 10, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Verse 13, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those that fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are but dust. Compassion always looks beyond the immediate to the, to the inner, the ultimate. Compassion sees why people are like they are and why they do what they do and has compassion. And that is why the people of Israel were always a people of hope. Someone has said in the heart of the Greek there was always despair in spite of all their expertise and culture. But at the heart of the Jew was always hope because he had a God of compassion. And he knew that ultimately if he repented and turned to Jehovah there was compassion deep within the heart of his God. And so he could repent, he could afford to repent because God was a God waiting for that repentance because he was a God of compassion. Well now, he is the unseen God, invisible. But there came a time when he made himself particularly visible. And he loved the world. Somebody said, God so loved the world so he struck a deal with it. No, he didn't. God so loved the world he sent his only begotten son because there was compassion in his heart. He had compassion on the lost world, the sinful world. He sang about that, didn't we? And there came one into the world who it says was the image of the invisible God. His name was Jesus. He was sent to reveal the Father. And at a time of deepest darkness, the, the Gospel of Luke begins with a song that's sung. And it, one of the things says, the rising sun has come to us because of the tender mercy or compassion of our God. And just as before, where, uh, after the darkest door, the darkest night, you see the rays of the sun begin to appear over the horizon. And it's going to produce a warm, beautiful day. So when Jesus came, out of the compassions of the Father, he came 
to bring that compassion to earth. Now from the very start of his ministry, there was compassion. You read Mark's Gospel and in chapter 1, he starts healing people. And there comes a leper to him. And lepers were outcasts. They were regarding as uh, forsaken and smitten by God. And there was no hope for them. They could be loathsome in their appearance. So they were put aside outside the camp in a lazar house to live alone. Nobody would touch a leper. This leper comes to Jesus and falls and says, Lord, if you can, you can make me clean. And when Jesus saw him, says he was moved with compassion and put forth his hand and touched him. Something no one would ever do and said, I will. You be clean. And that moment the man was healed. Now that was one of the first miracles that Jesus did. And all the way through his ministry, there was this compassion to a widow who's lost her only son. And he meets the funeral cortege and he has compassion on the widow because she has no other means of support. And he raises her son from the dead. Two blind men who cried to him says he had compassion on them and touched their eyes and gave them sight. He saw the multitudes, the crowds, and they were like sheep without a shepherd, no one to teach and lead them. And he was moved with compassion toward them. He saw people, thousands of them hungry, who followed him and had no food to eat. And he was moved with compassion and he made bread to feed them. All the way through, demon-possessed people, lost people, blind people, deaf people, always the compassion. But the compassion that saw their need and touched them and did something for them. That was our Saviour. Holy, just, righteous, sometimes even angry, but all through filled with compassion. So it's not surprising that in some of his miracles, or some of his parables, this element comes. He tells the story, for instance, of the prodigal son, who comes home wretched, having spent everything, disgraced his father, dishonored his name. When the father saw him afar off coming, he was moved with compassion and ran to meet him and fell on his neck. That was the compassion of the father. He told the story uh, of um, the Good Samaritan. There's only the Samaritan that had compassion on the poor wounded man and went and bound up his wounds and knelt in the dust beside him and did everything for him, even to paying for his board and lodgings until he came back because of his compassion. That was the compassion of Jesus. And then he told the story of the two debtors. You remember that? The man who owed the king an enormous sum of money he couldn't pay. And when he fell on his knees and said, Oh, give me a chance and I'll pay you all. And the king knew he couldn't pay a penny. He says the king was moved with compassion and forgave him a huge debt. The same servant then went and found another servant who owed him a paltry sum. 
I went and took him by the throat and said, pay me what you owe me. And when that servant pleaded for time and mercy, he gave him none. And the king was very angry and said to him, I had compassion on you and I forgave you all that debt. Why could you not have compassion on your fellow servant and forgive him the debt he owes you? He was talking about forgiveness. Of course, compassion finds it easy to forgive. But when we shut up our compassion, it's not easy. We find fault, we blame, we are hard. You know, it's so easy to get hard. Yesterday, somebody was trying to talk to me outside a car, and the window was up. And I didn't know how to put it down. It was electrically operated. And I couldn't hear what he said. We couldn't communicate. And I put the window down. And I said to him, you know, when there's a barrier between us, we can't communicate. Even though the, the, the barrier is like glass. We can see one another, but we can't really communicate because that glass is so hard. And when there's hardness, even transparent hardness, we can't forgive very often. There's a lot of unforgiveness among Christians, isn't there? I've had it in my own life where I found it hard to forgive a person because I haven't had compassion. And so this parable of the, of the two debtors gives the clue to the third thing and that is the compassion of Christians for others. God is a God of compassion. Jesus was a man of compassion. And a Christian should be a man or a woman of compassion. And the church is the outworking of that compassion. And for this I want to close with looking at Ephesians chapter 4 and Colossians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life when you were not a Christian to put off your old self which is being corrupt by its deceitful nature and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And then from verse 25 onwards it tells us the things we must put off. And 31 says, verse 31, get rid or put off all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, shouting at one another, and slander, saying evil things about one another, along with every form of malice, I don't know how to define malice. It's nastiness toward other people. Easy, uh, finding it easy to take hold of anything you can use to blame them or to slander them. Malice. Get rid of it. Now how can you get rid of these things? Because these things are things that shut up the source of compassion 
in us. How can we get rid of them? Well, I only know one way. It's like a, a, you've got a, a beggar man who's got a lot of dirty old clothes. But there's a new suit of beautiful clothes for him. And they're offered to him. He can't put the new suit on top of the old rags. He's got to take the rags off first. And he may have to take them off piece by piece. So when I become a Christian, I have to repent of all that I am. Come to Jesus just as I am, without one plea, in all my rags, and receive from him new garments that are entirely different. But the paradox is that although I've done that, I've received Christ, I've received the Holy Spirit, the old rags tend to reappear. And I have to keep on putting them off. Who of us here, since we've become a Christian, has never had any bitterness? Or rage? Or wrong kind of anger? Has never shouted at your wife? or your children, in brawling, have never spoken evil about another person, or thought it, or been malicious. Every one of us has. The old rags are still there, even though we've got the new coat of, suit of clothes. So we have to keep on putting these things off. And it's interesting that it says, keep on putting off. And as you do that in continual repentance, and without repentance in the Christian life, there could be no real ultimate change. Because we keep on reverting to the old if we don't repent of it. So we need to repent of being bitter, of being angry, of shouting, of thinking evil of one another, of getting resentful. Whatever it is that is not compassion, we need to repent of it. When we are cold people, when we look at them with cold eyes, and we don't feel, don't take in any interest in their needs, I've been like that. I think I told you once that one of my churches, our churches where we had four or five hundred on the morning service, I would always stand at the door shaking hands with everybody. I felt it was my duty to shake hands with everybody. And then I'd go home. I've done my duty. And one very honest brother said to me one day, Pastor, I don't think you really care for us. You really love us. And I was most offended and I said, Of course I do. I'm your pastor, I preach at you, I teach at you, I shake hands with you at the door, I come and visit you. No, no, he said, Whenever you shake hands with me, you're always looking over my shoulder at the next one in the queue. You never look really into my eyes as though you love me. My word, that shook me. I was so ashamed because I didn't have compassion and love and tenderness. And so it says, put off these old clothes all the time. And then you're to put on, verse 24, the new self, created to be like God in righteousness and tenderness. And verse 31, get rid of all these things, bitterness, 
And verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, in Christ, God has forgiven you. And so become imitators of God as children of his love and live a life of love. Colossians says the same. There's a parallel passage in Colossians 3. You can look it up when you want to. And if I may say this, because by nature we are all selfish beings, we need to learn to face our selfishness and repent of it and every form of it. And as we keep on putting off what is selfish, what is corrupt and rotten, we will receive through the Holy Spirit a building up of that new nature which is love. So repent of everything that's not compassion. Piece by piece. Name the things. Nail them to the cross. All of them. But you say, if I do that, I should be empty and stripped and naked. Yes, praise the Lord when you are. When you lie naked at the feet of Jesus. And then you let him clothe you with that new nature which is like God. Now, this has to have very practical outcome. There are certain areas where this must work. In the home, for instance, to have compassion to your children. Sometimes children act in very unlikable ways. But you need to see that behind sometimes that there is a real need. There's an insecurity. There's a fear. There's a deprivation that they feel inside. So they become obstreperous. Maybe even violent. One of my children was a bit like this at some stage. And uh, he was so unpleasant and so falsy, as it were, about everything. that I felt I didn't like him anymore. But I knew I did. And one day at the breakfast table he was being particularly bolshy. And as I listened to him, I was standing behind him, I suddenly realized that the little boy inside who was trying to get out, that wanted love and affection more. He had plenty, but he wanted more. And I put my arms around him and I said, Oh Peter, if only you knew how much I love you. And he just broke. And he said, I've been waiting quite a long time for you to say that, Dad. But it changed the whole relationship. I met him yesterday. Of course, he's a grown man, father, family now. And I mentioned this. He said, you know, I remember that, one of the clearest things of my boyhood, you saying that to me. It changed him. It was compassion. And I praise the Lord for it. It's got to be in the home. Husband, you must be compassionate to your wife. You must forgive her for what she is as well as what she does. If what she is and what she does sometimes you don't like. Compassion always forgives. And if a husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church, 
he will forgive and forgive even little things that he may not like. And wives must do the same to the husband. And brothers to sisters. Forgiveness in the home. Then forgiveness in the fellowship. We must forgive each other and be tender and kind to each other. Praise the Lord for that coming in the church. And when we do forgive each other, we can bear with a lot of things. And we can be saved a lot of trouble. We must forgive in society and have compassion. And look out on the world continually and see it in its deep, heaving need as God looked on those Israelites and saw them in their need. I'm tempted to say that compassion always brings concord. And there will be concord in the home and concord in the church <laughs> where there's compassion. But oh, we need it in society, don't we? And praise the Lord for a new spirit of compassion that may be coming in this country through recent events. But in order to have compassion on the multitude as Jesus did, we have need to have his heart. And remember this, finally, that that compassion of Jesus led him to suffer as no man has suffered. He suffered over people. He yearned over them. He wept over them. He died for them on the cross eventually. And you cannot have compassion for people outside in the world without suffering and sacrificing in some way. Maybe to give. Maybe to go. Be a missionary just to love people but there will be compassion so may the Lord make us all compassionate Christians as Jesus was to look at people with compassion really to look into their eyes and realize that behind every face there may be a long list of needs that they never share but they're there and we need to feel the needs of people and have compassion. Do you want to say anything? Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you this morning that while you are a God of holiness and righteousness and justice and judgment, a God of fire, that within it all you are a God of compassion. And so we need not fear to come to you. Lord Jesus, you are our great high priest. You have compassion on the ignorant and those that are turned out of the way. Thank you, Lord, for your compassion upon us in our foolishness, our waywardness, our wickedness. And that when we turn to you, even the slightest degree, you are ready to run and meet us and fall on our neck and kiss us many times and welcome us back home. Lord, we thank you that herein is our hope that you are a God of compassion. 
Make us like yourself, Lord Jesus. Oh, deal with everything in us that is not compassion, that is hard and unfeeling and selfish and wayward. And fill us with your loving Holy Spirit. So we pray, Jesus, thou art all compassion, pure unbounded love thou art. Oh, we pray, come and make thy dwelling in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen.